Welcome to Hackstack, the show that gives you all the tips, tricks and advice you need to increase your productivity, lower your stress level and find ultimate purpose in life. All done one simple step at a time. And now, here is your host, Coz. Hello, my friends. How are you guys doing today? Man, it, it feels like I've been away for a long time and it really isn't. I try and post these episodes every couple weeks or so, but I... Uh, I think it feels like I've been away for a long time because I just got back from a big family vacation. This is the annual vacation that my mom and dad spring for. I mentioned that in one of the early episodes when we went on a cruise and then I went scuba diving and that whole fiasco. But uh, this was the annual vacation and Mama and Papa Kaz got a rental home down in Florida. So me and my siblings and spouses and nephews and kids and everybody went down to this house and we had a grand old time, Fourth uh, of July kind of vacation, so it was really good. But on the vacation, I do something I normally don't do. Uh, I watched a lot of TV. I, uh, From my perspective, I guess I, I overdosed on TV. And in general, I pretty much hate TV <laughs> and what it stands for. I guess why why do I say that? Well, there there's two big evils in the world. Uh I think it's soda and TV. <laughs> if someone's unhappy in their life, they're probably drinking too much soda or watching too much TV. Um I I'm kidding, of course, uh, to a certain degree, but soda, here's what I hate about soda. It's got a ton of sugar, bad for you, a ton of calories. And, uh, what really, it, what, what it really does is it displaces something you need, right? Your body needs water. You need to drink water when you're thirsty. What do you do? You drink a soda, your thirst is quenched, but you get no nutrients. You don't get any of the water that your body needs. Um, so you usually get like, if you drink enough of it, you'll get some Kidney stones, oh, that's that's great. Uh, if you're drinking regular soda, you get a ton of sugar and usually you gain a lot of weight. If you're drinking diet soda, you get uh, artificial sweeteners which trick the body into thinking uh, that it's regular sugar and then you retain more weight that way as well. There's a whole laundry list of reasons to not drink soda. Uh, but my main beef is it quenches your thirst, but your body still needs that water. So it displaces something positive. So in the same effect, TV, when you watch TV, for the most part, you're choosing to watch TV and then you're not doing something uh, that could potentially be very fulfilling in your life. And I'll rattle off a couple statistics, not that Anyone really needs statistics to know that we, uh, American <laughs> people in general and Americans in particular, watch just a ton of TV. Um, here's a couple stats. Uh, the average American watches five hours of TV per day. I, I still find that hard to believe, even when I was uh, watching a ton of TV. Man, five hours just seems like a lot. Um, let me see here. Children aged... 2 to 11 watch over 24 hours per week. Well, that's great, right? When their fragile minds are developing, they're getting pumped full of uh, TV. Let me see a couple others. Um, average adults age 35 to 49 watch more than 33 hours 
<laughs> per week, according to uh, data from Nelson's rating. And it also suggests that TV increases as we get older. So TV viewing increases. So that's the main reason. I don't like TV because for the most part, it's displacing something really positive in your life. Uh, so one of the best decisions I ever made was to get rid of my uh, satellite TV. Uh, not only did I, I save $100 per month, but I'm able to talk to um, my family more, spend more quality time with my wife and my kids. Uh, we put, uh, put the handle down a little bit on the kids too. Uh, we still have the internet. And that means they can still stream Netflix and things like that. Uh, but we try to restrict that to the weekend uh, time frame just to get some sort of boundaries on that. So anyway, I, I'm on this vacation and we spent a lot of time it's in Florida. We spent a lot of time at the pool and then at the beach. And then at night we would all get together, have a family meal, and then we would uh, watch some TV. Ironically, one of the very first commercials I see is a commercial that depicts uh, an elderly, I believe, Chinese uh, man who is trying to learn a phrase in English. He's kind of talking to himself in the mirror. Uh, and the phrase is, Hello, Jack. I am your grandfather. I have waited a long time to meet you. And he keeps practicing this phrase over and over and over again. And as the commercial progresses, it becomes pretty clear that He's coming to America to meet his grandchild, so he's practicing in the airplane. And he's also practicing the phrase as he's exiting the plane, walking on the jetway tunnel, and he finally gets uh, to where he can see his grandchild, and you can tell he's, he's right about to say the phrase that he's practiced all this time, and his grandchild beats him to the punch, and in Chinese, the grandchild says... You know, hello, I'm Jack. I'm your grandchild. I've waited a long time for this moment. It was a really, really cool commercial. Uh, but the punchline is it's a commercial for the American Heart Association. And the tagline is everyone has a reason to live a healthy, longer life. What's your reason? And I was like, that's so cool. They must have listened to Hackstack episode number six and then made that commercial. So it was a really, really cool timing, and it was probably one of the few bright spots in my uh, TV binge watching while I was on vacation. But it just it just reiterates the point that I mentioned uh, last episode, and there's also uh, a couple other little side benefits that I forgot to mention. So here is the really cool thing about having a really high purpose for the reason you're doing a certain activity. So... If you're exercising to live a really long life so you can see your grandchildren grow up or so you can be around longer to make a bigger impact on the world, guess what? That's a really high purpose reason, but you get all the shallow reasons thrown in for free as a bonus. You, <laughs> you will still look better in a swimsuit if you're exercising uh, to live a longer life so you can impact the world more. Right, so although vanity is a really bad reason in and of itself, um, <laughs> looking better in a swimsuit is just a bonus if you have a high purpose. Beating your personal record in a 5K, that's just an added bonus. That's a throwaway. So not only do you get the fulfillment of um, reaching a higher purpose, 
you get all those little extra perks like looking better in a swimsuit and beating your personal best at a 5K for free. Another example is if you want to make a lot of money or start a business just solely so you can uh, make a name for yourself and have people recognize you, uh, it's a very selfish driven reason. But if you want to start a business so you can help provide jobs for other people, um, feed families, uh, improve the quality of the world through the product that you offer. Uh, These are all high purpose things. And guess what? In the process of doing that, you probably will make a name for yourself as just a side effect of fulfilling that higher purpose. So it's ironic that the people that have the highest purpose get the side effects of some of these more superficial things that a lot of people like that's their highest calling is these superficial things and they never, never reach it. But yet the people that have a high purpose, they end up getting those anyway. So just an added bonus to keep in mind. And there you go. That whole monologue was sparked by a TV commercial about a grandfather and a grandchild. Uh, But for the most part, I'm not a big fan of TV. Zig Ziglar calls TV the income suppressor. And that's good enough for me to stay away from the TV as much as possible. Uh, Except for Colts games, of course. You know, I got to have my vices, right? All right, so let's get into episode number seven of Hackstack. We are going to hit some sleep hacks today. Uh, Sleep is a big, important part of life. I know a lot of people struggle with sleep. I do myself on occasion, and I'm always looking to have any advantage on my side to help with my sleep. Uh, But before we get into that, as we often do on this show... I am going to start us off with a little mental calisthenics. And this is going to be just a a quick clip from a book called The Happiness Advantage by Sean Acor. And whenever I think of this book, I I think of this one conversation I had. I I forget the person, but I I remember the conversation because it was just so odd to me. Uh, I was having a, a conversation with a guy And he's just going on and on about how unhappy he is. And I know it's a a common theme in a lot of people, but he was just going on and on about how just dissatisfied he was with a lot of things. And he, he used the word unhappy several times during the conversation. And I just happened to be reading this book at the time. So I'm like, Hey man, I'm, I'm reading this really interesting book. Um, it's called the happy ad- happiness advantage. Would would you like to maybe read that sometime? He goes, no, 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 that's okay. And I was I was almost <laughs> I was almost stunned. Um, okay, so you're telling me you're unhappy, and there's a book called the happiness advantage. You you sure you don't maybe want to even just crack the book open just a little bit? But again. That goes back to episode one when Zig Ziglar was talking about some people 
don't want a solution to their problem and you just you just have to roll with that so now i'm not naive enough to think that you can find uh happiness and the answer to all of life's question in in a single book called the happiness advantage but i mean it's worth a read i mean even if you can get a little bit out of it so why (laughs) why not give it a shot but anyway that's a complete uh side note from uh what i'm trying to communicate here so Let's play this clip, and this is just a a neat little clip on perspective. So let's roll it. Change your counterfact. Consider the following scenario I've presented to business leaders in countries around the globe, always to the same effect. Imagine for a moment that you walk into a bank. There are 50 other people in the bank. A robber walks in and fires his weapon once. You are shot in the right arm. Now, if you were honestly describing this event to your friends and coworkers the next day, Do you describe it as lucky or unlucky? When I pose the same question to executives in my training sessions, the response is generally and vociferously divided about 70-30. claim it is a supremely unfortunate event. The other 30% claim to have been very unfortunate indeed. It's telling enough that the same event could inspire such different interpretations, but the real insight comes when I ask them to explain how they came to their decisions. People who are in the unfortunate group say something like the following. I could have walked into any bank at any time. This kind of thing almost never happens. How unlucky is it that I happened to be there and that I was shot? There's a bullet in my arm that's objectively unfortunate. I entered the bank perfectly healthy and I left in an ambulance. I don't know about you, Sean, but that's not my idea of a good time. One of my favorite responses came from a banker named Elsie with an impeccable British accent. This is fundamentally inconvenient, she said dryly. But my all-time favorite response, which I've actually heard more than once and always from someone on Wall Street, there were at least 50 other people in the bank. Surely someone deserved getting shot more than I did. With a response like that, I'm not sure that's true. These people cannot understand how a typical bank errand turn gunshot wound could be construed as fortunate, but then they hear the other side's explanation of the same event. I could have been shot somewhere far worse than my arm. I could have died. I feel incredibly fortunate. It's amazing that nobody else got hurt. There were at least 50 other people in the bank, including children. It's unbelievably lucky that everybody lived to tell the tale. Even though the responses differ dramatically, the point is that every brain in the room does the exact same thing. It invents, and that's an important word, a counterfact. A counterfact is an alternate scenario our brains create to help us to evaluate and make sense of what really happened. Here's what I mean. The people who saw the outcome as unlucky imagined an alternate scenario of not having been shot at all. In comparison, their outcome seems very unfortunate but the other group invented a very different alternate scenario that they could have been shot in the head and died or that many other people could have been hurt. Compared with that, surviving is very fortunate. Here's the crucial part. Both the counterfacts are completely hypothetical. Because it's invented, we actually have the power in any given situation to consciously select a counterfact that makes us feel fortunate rather than helpless. And choosing a positive counterfact, besides simply making us feel better, 
sets ourselves up for the whole host of benefits to motivation and performance we now know accompanies a positive mindset. On the other hand, choosing a counterfact that makes us more fearful of the adversity actually makes it loom larger than it really is. For example, in one interesting study, researchers at the University of Virginia asked participants to stand on a skateboard at the top of a hill and estimate the slope of the hill below them. The more frightened and uncomfortable the subject was standing on the skateboard, the higher and steeper the slope appeared. When we choose a counterfact that makes us feel worse, we're actually altering our reality, allowing the obstacle to exert far greater influence over us than it otherwise should. So I thought that's a, a pretty cool take on just perspective and how big a difference that can make in your life. And I'll give you another two quick examples to drive the point home a little bit. These are actually examples from a couple holiday movies. Uh, first one is It's a Wonderful Life. And I'm sure you guys have seen that where the main character, George Bailey, uh, is thinking about taking his own life when a, when an angel steps in and basically tells him how life would be if he was never born. And then he, he realizes what big a difference he made in the world. And at the very end of the movie, he's super happy. He's excited. He's hugging his kid. He's he's kissing his wife. Uh, but the really interesting thing is absolutely nothing had changed in his circumstance. It was just his perspective that had changed. And same thing in A Christmas Carol with Ebenezer Scrooge. Old, crotchety, bitter-at-the-world kind of guy, hoarding his money. Uh, and then he's visited by the, the ghost of Christmas past, present, and future. And at the end of the movie, he's giving away money and giving away food and uh, celebrating with his uh, employees' family. And life is great. But guess what? Absolutely nothing had changed in his life except his perspective. So there's two quick uh, examples from movies. And something that maybe you could take away from is... What are the counterfactuals in your life that you are using against yourself? Maybe you can kind of turn those around and just think about things just a little bit differently. And maybe that'll make things a little easier for you. Uh, I know in my own life, you guys have heard me talk about my, my back that I, I always have to, to, uh, to be aware of and try and strengthen and, and stay on top of. And occasionally I, I start to whine about it and wish I didn't have a bad back. Uh, but then I think about just how fortunate I am that I don't have other physical ailments and that I can actually walk. There's people that can't even walk. Uh, there's people that are missing limbs and, you know, you put it in a perspective and then all of a sudden things aren't all that bad. So, uh, there becomes a, a point where, where happiness is, is almost a choice. And if you think about it that way, things may get a little easier. There's also one other observation I want to point out. I have to credit my wife for uh, pointing this out to me. Uh, there's a big difference between joy and happiness. Uh, happiness is more of a, a short-term, in-the-moment kind of thing. You know, it kind of feels good in the moment. Uh, if, if things are going your way that work, um, you know, all the green lights and traffic are going your way, uh, you just got a promotion, you know, you're laughing a lot. Those Those are like happiness short-term things but joy is more 
purpose driven. So you can have a bad day at work. You can miss every light. You can get cut off in traffic and you may be irritated or or unhappy in the moment, but you have if you have true joy, you can kind of get through those things. And joy is a more rooted thing, a more long-term thing. Um joy is things like my kids love me, my wife loves me. I'm making a difference in the world. You know, when you you're pushing these things up the ladder. And like I I mentioned before, for me, my joy comes from God. That's the highest purpose. So God loves me. So when you, when you put all those together, it's really hard. Um, I guess, I guess put another way, I I can be unhappy in the moment, but still have long-term everlasting joy. So start to think about things that way, and and ironically, uh, the more joy you have, the the easier it is to be happy, even when the ball is not bouncing your way. All right, so now, as promised, we are going to get into sleep hacks. Now, I'm obviously a big fan of the Miracle Morning, and and I realize there are some people out there that don't have to get up really early. Um, you know, someone that's my age, again, 43 with two young kids, they're just getting up early is is really, really important for me. But for people out there that are maybe empty nesters or retired or they don't necessarily have to get up before the crack of dawn to, to get things done, I, I still think it's very, very important to, to have a morning routine, to have a purpose, to get up, uh, to self-reflect. Uh, a critical part to all of this is is a good night's sleep. And if you've ever battled any type of insomnia or been anxious at night, uh, it's it's horrible. It's a horrible feeling to be tired, to be exhausted, and to not be able to go to sleep. So the meat of this show will be dedicated to that exact topic. First, I'll give you a couple of the hacks that I use. Um, most of the time when, when I have issues sleeping, it's because I've got too much on my mind, either to the positive or to the negative. On the negative, I'm kind of worried about what's going to happen the next day or, or some issues I'm having, and I, I'm preoccupied, I'm anxious, and I'm trying to go to bed, and I I can't get those thoughts out of my mind. It's either that or on the positive side, I'm really excited about some, I don't know, real estate deal I've got going on or, or something that's going on in my life that's really positive. And, and like a, a kid before Christmas, uh, <laughs> I'm thinking of the good stuff and I'm really excited and I'm having trouble sleeping due to that, um, you know, excitement. So, in both of those cases, I need to calm my mind down, and my number one app to go to to calm my mind down is an app called Headspace, and this is an app designed to help facilitate meditation, and they recommend you actually do it in the morning. It's an it's another good thing to maybe throw into your morning routine. Uh, I personally don't do it in the morning, but I found when I use it at night, it's really, really effective to calm my thoughts down to the point where I can I can fall asleep. So if I've got a lot on my mind, I will try to use the Headspace app. 
it's free for the first 10 sessions. I think you have to pay after that, which which I have not done. The, the 10 free sessions is, is more than enough for me. Each session is guided by a, a narrator giving you instructions, you know, breathe in, breathe out, think of this, think of that, calm your mind. Uh, and it's it's really really calming. Again, it's a uh, the the narrator guy is has a foreign accent. It's either British or Australian. I don't know. You tell me. But <laughs> but it's good either way. It calms me down. So that's an app I can recommend for you. The other app that I just started playing around with to test it out is called Wave Light. And again, I'll I'll put a a link to this in the show notes. It's it's amazingly simple. And it's it's worked really well for me so far. Uh, you you start the app and you put your phone face up toward the ceiling, and all it is is a blue light that pulses on and off. And you're directed to look at the light and have your breathing. You look at the light on the ceiling. That is because it reflects on the ceiling, and you just have your breath follow the motion of the light. And it's amazingly simple, but you're sitting there looking at the light and the the blue light goes on and you go, and then it starts to go out and you, and it it just coaches you via visual sensory to really calm your breathing down, which seems to calm everything else down. So I've had a lot of success with that, Uh, but those are just really, really simple uh, things that I do. What you are about to hear is a full-on podcast about sleep issues. All right, this is a clip from the Align podcast. That's A-L-I-G-N, Align. Uh, It's more of a, a health and wellness podcast. But the guy he interviews is a guy by the name of Sean Stevenson. And Sean Stevenson's expertise lies in the area of of sleep. And he gives a lot of really good tips and information and advice. And the cool thing I, I want you guys to start to, to focus in on is how quick it is to learn some of these things. You can go from virtually no knowledge on a subject to functional working practical application knowledge in a hurry. I mean, just after listening to this one podcast, I felt a whole lot smarter about this subject and uh, honestly, a lot more confident. So since a good night's sleep is such a critical part of the Miracle Morning, I think you will really enjoy this podcast. Check it out. So Sean, I'm curious on how you ended up getting started with the whole healthcare nutrition movement. Like what's, what's your background with that? Wow. So (laughs) Sean, are you ready for this? I'm ready, man. You hit me. All right. So my interest was not, it was not exactly what I planned. I'll say that. And you know, my, my whole life, I was really interested in being an athlete and and performing at a high level, I was like the fast kid, you know, like I'm, I was the guy who, you know, people would pick first and all that kind of stuff when we'll get on the teams. And, but I, but I lived in the inner city, in the inner city. So it wasn't a lot of, um, actually structured sports teams to be a part of. So it wasn't really until I got to late middle school and high school when I started to run track and play football and just, I love to compete. I love to perform. And, but it's during that time when I had the first kind of flash 
insight of what I had in store for me where I was doing a time trial. I was 16 years old and I was doing a 200 meter sprint time trial by myself on the track with my coach and I broke my hip. Yikes. All right. Did you hear what I said? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a big deal. Just running, you know, it's just crazy. <laughs> like that's something that is reserved to happen to women who are like elderly women. So like women who are over 80, but here I am 16 years old and I broke my hip just from running, you know, and even for women who are elderly women, I mean, I know so many amazing, just physically healthy, uh, incredible present women uh, who are who are in that age bracket, who their bone density is better than, you know, many 20 year old 20 year olds today, you know, so it doesn't just and I want to put this little caveat in there. Aging is not like a, a, a sentence for you to not have vitality and to have health. Yes. But this is just kind of our common perception of reality in our in our modern society that as you get older, you lose the vast majority of your function and bad things are going to happen, you know, but and it really becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So anyways, back to my story. <laughs> 16 years, years old, break my hip running. I go through the normal modality of treatment, you know, ultrasound, physical therapy, uh, got some crushes to get out of class early. You know, I got to got to be one of those kids that got out of class a few minutes early, which was awesome. But then I got back on the track. I got back on the football field and nobody asked any questions about it. Because, you know, when you're 16, you've got the hormones of like uh, a Greek God, you know, so <laughs> I healed very. But nobody stopped to ask, how did this kid's hip break? Fast forward 20 years old. And at this point, I'm really disenchanted with health. You know, like I really I'm not interested because it wasn't outside of just athletic performance. I really felt I didn't I didn't connect with science. I didn't like it at all. I didn't like human anatomy and physiology class. I didn't like chemistry. And what it was really was and now it's my life. Like, I love it. I'm obsessed. You know, But it was the way that I was taught. And so I went to college pre-med and that was the initial decision. And it just took maybe eight weeks before I opted out of that. And got into business school because I just I didn't like the science. It was just it was I, I'm trying to find the right word. I'm, I don't want to say I detested it, but that's kind of the words coming to mind. I just didn't like it. And what it was is it was the way that I was taught, and it wasn't relating to me as a as a person. That you know everything was so external. We're talking about cell biology, but what does that have to do with my cells right now? You know, and also I saw the upperclassmen. Uh, who are who are in the pre med program? They had this fixation on disease, right? So once they start to take uh, different classes, you know, having to do with psychology and 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 um, disease diagnosis, everybody started self diagnosing themselves with stuff all the time. It was just creeping me out, you know. And so what I wanted to do was just kind of get out of that whole thing. So I shifted over to business, and here's where my story really got interesting. And I'll just breeze through this one. I'll give you the really short version. 20 years old, I'm diagnosed with something called degenerative spinal disease, right? And so this is something that's pretty common today. But for me at that time, I had no idea, no concept of what that meant. And this was a reason that my hip had broken. So uh, my, my hip had broken earlier on is because my, my bones were just, I had this degenerative issue and also my, my disc in my, on my spine as well. So I go to see the physician. He puts the MRI out for me to see, and he says that I have the spine of an 80-year-old, and I'm 20. And I'm just like, I'm used to working with my trainer, so I'm like, all right, let's fix this up. What do we got to do? 
And he looks at me like I'm crazy, right? And he's just like, slow down, son. You don't understand. This is something that just happens. This is something you're just going to have to deal with. And I don't know to this day, and I tell people this all the time, I don't know how I came to ask this question because I had no concept of this matter, but I asked him, does this have anything to do with what I'm eating? Should I exercise differently? And again, he looked at me like I was straight up just fresh off of a spaceship. And he says, this has nothing to do with what you're eating. But then he wrote me a prescription to eat some pills. All right. So that was the paradigm I was dealing with. Fast forward two and a half years go by. I see th- uh, four different physicians. It was, maybe it was four or five. And they gave me pretty much the same story. And at this point, I'd gained about 40, 50 pounds of unattractive weight and definitely in a, in a state of depression, just from lack of mobility, lack of, of, of vitality and even not even having a clear picture about what my life is going to look like now because everybody's telling me I'm not going to be able to do things I want to do in my life. And for me, the manifestation of that condition was physical pain that just shot down my leg like lightning whenever I would stand up or sit down. And so it was scary. It was scary for me to even sit down or stand up. If I'm sitting down, I didn't want to get up because I didn't want the pain to happen. You know, and that's kind of symbolic about myself not wanting to stand up, you know. And something changed. I had a moment of of insight that happened at the age of 22. And what it was, man, and just to make this really simple for everybody, I decided, you know, I decided to get well. And that might sound really simple, but most people never actually do that. We're more so wishful thinking, like, I'm going to give this a try. That would be nice. And when you make a real decision about something, you actually cut away the possibility of failure. Like, when you decide to do something, and the Latin root is day, meaning from, and kaidir, which means to cut. So I cut away the possibility of anything happening except me being well. And so on that note, you know, it wasn't like a, a magic genie came out and granted my wish. I'm a very kind of hardcore science-minded person, very analytical. So I put a plan together. And that plan inc- included three major components. One was movement, which all the physicians told me not to move. Wear this back brace. Be careful. Not understanding that the human body requires movement in order to heal itself. It requires movement in order to assimilate nutrients that you take in, no matter how good your diet is. And I've got studies to back that up, which are really fascinating if you want to talk about it. Yeah. Number two was nutrition. What is my back actually made of? You know, what are the, what are the discs in my back? What, type of, what types of uh, raw materials are my spine, is my spine made of and are my, my disc made of? This is a question most people never ask. You know, if they're dealing with a condition where they um, degenerate, degenerate, have degenerative tissue, it's like if you don't provide your body with the raw materials it needs to rebuild you, it can't do the job. You know, so I got really focused on that. And part three was putting my body in a state for the healing to take place in, at the end of the day, which literally is at the end of the day, which is sleep. Sleep is the most anabolic stage, state for the human body to be in. And so when I got my sleep dialed in, I healed so much faster. Put, all, put the big bow on this story. Six weeks after making that decision, I lost 30 pounds. The pain I'd been experiencing every waking moment for two and a half years was gone. And... People, I was still in my university at the time, so I, sw- I shifted my course of study over to biology again. And people at my school, they saw the transformation. They started asking me for help. And that was the birthing of my career. 
Amazing, man. I have, <laughs> I'm like grinning ear to ear the whole time for that story. I love hearing that stuff. And, you know, one of the things that st- stands out for me so much with that is the decision to be well. You know, it's not just about like, oh, I, you know, I will do this or, oh, you know, we, we get so wrapped up on our stories. You know, and I work with this on a daily basis. People have dealing with pain for, you know, 20 years and it becomes so embedded in their story of who they are, whether they realize it or not it's challenging to let that stuff go, you know, and then you go and it gets, becomes reinforced by, you know, seeing the doctor, you know, whatever that you read on the, on the Google or whatever it is. And that's the biggest obstacle I think is yourself. You know? Absolutely. And, that, and, and that's why it's so profound hearing. And this is kind of what this show is about is finding people, you know, that have, that have gone through these experiences and it's just fascinating, man. I really appreciate hearing it. I wanted to hear a little bit more about the research you had mentioned about movement and, and its relation to uh, assimilation of nutrition, was it? Sure, yeah. Early on, uh, I came across a study that was, it was actually a study done with horses, race horses in particular. And what they wanted to do, because if a horse breaks a bone, that's grounds for the horse to be put down. You know, that's grounds for the horse to actually have, um, you know, for, for the horse to be put to sleep, quote, put to sleep. And what was so interesting in the study was like they, they wanted to improve the bone density of the horses so they're less likely to have a bone break. So what they did was they put the horses onto supplements, in particular calcium supplement. And what they discovered, they had the control group that they just gave the, the supplements to, the horses that just had the calcium supplements, we'll just say calcium. And the other group, which is a study group, they gave the horses calcium and they walked the horses. What they found at the end of the study is that the horses who received the calcium supplements but were not walked, their improvement in their bone density was negligible. It was hardly anything. It was not even worth talking about. However, the horses that were walked in conjunction with taking the calcium supplements had a radical increase in their bone density. Right. So, And it's because of this simple fact is that your body literally, and I, I said this already, requires movement for it, for it to assimilate and to drive nutrients into the tissues that you're using. This is why muscles atrophy, bones atrophy, if you're not using them, right? If you're not actually putting that thing, it's that whole thing of like, if you don't use it, you lose it. If you're not putting that part of your body into continuous physical motion, it starts to decline. And it starts to decline pretty rapidly because the human unit is designed for movement. Life is movement. You know, and as soon as you cease, like, what is death? That's the cessation of movement, you know? And so we we have to be conscientious enough to physically engage our body in any way that we can on a daily basis, frequently, you know, because again, this is what really what we're designed for. And so that, that was one of the most fascinating studies. And for me, that was enough to say, you know, I know the nutrition is important, but it's not going to do the job unless I move again. And that was, it was a fear-based thing for me because... I've been told that I couldn't do all these things. You know, be careful, be careful. And here's, this is a really important caveat for everybody. So of course I would recommend for people to consult consult your physician or your healthcare practitioner, hopefully somebody who's acclimated to integrative medicine, right? But work with them. But here's the thing. If you've got an acute situation where you're just getting hurt and it's very inflamed, Absolutely. You know, if you just have a, like a, an acute situation with your lower back, I'm not saying to go deadlift tomorrow, right? Like give yourself 24 to 48 hours so the inflammation can reduce, subside. But then at that point, you need to start doing what you can. 
right? You want to start encouraging your body to heal itself because it knows what to do. You just got to create the right conditions. And the more that you're docile and dormant and not doing anything, it's really not conducive to your body doing the job that it can do. You know, so you want to start to do what you can. And there's an immense amount of right um, self-therapy exercise you can do or, of course, working with an intelligent physician or a therapist, you know, but you've got to do what you can. Absolutely. You, your, your body, again, it requires movement in order for it to heal itself. I hope that that's really sinking in for everybody. Yeah. You know, and, and another big thing that, that you're kind of getting at, too, is, you know, you, we're continually creating this positive and or negative feedback loop of information, you know, and it's, and it's based off of our movement and our responses to our reality. You know, so if we are we go outside, we decide to make that decision to get some sun, you know, to take your shoes off and like, you know, we'll go pick something heavy up, you know, hopefully functionally and well, you know, but what that ends up doing is it makes you feel a little bit better, you know, change the way you stand, you know, all of a sudden bring your shoulders back, open your chest up, bring your chin up, you know, people start responding to you differently, which in turn creates a different response of yourself. You know, all of a sudden your self-worth goes up just because of those little minute movement decisions that end up stacking up over and over. So I'm really curious, what, what was there any specific movement decisions that you had made that, um, induced healing with the back? Wow. It was very rudimentary, man. I mean, it was very, very like kindergarten stuff for me. Uh, um, I'm going from like literally like laying on my floor or on my couch for years you know what I'm saying? Playing a lot of like my my fingers were in shape because of video games. Like my <laughs> fingers had like six packs and biceps on them, right? But at this point, it was like the um, lowest hanging fruit. Is what I encourage people to do: do what you can. And so, because my leg really wasn't functioning properly, like I just didn't have that engagement, like that neuromuscular disconnection with my mind and what what I want my legs to do. I started off on a stationary bike, you know. And so I did that for about a week. Then I moved over and started walking on the treadmill a little bit. Then I moved over and um, I started doing like a little bit of rowing. Next thing you know, I picked up the dumbbells again. And that's really what shifted it for me when I started lifting weights and doing strength training again, you know, which is so, again, counterintuitive. I was, I was afraid, but I put the fear aside, you know, and really worked on strengthening all the things that that my body was missing for so many years, you know, and it's just like a seeming miracle happened, but it wasn't a miracle. It was just smart, uh, smart application of these things. And, but here's the big thing. And I can't not say this. The nutrition was critically important for me because it's asking the question, you know, how did I get to the place where my bones were deteriorating like that or my spinal discs were deteriorating like that? So for me, it was really interesting because a book showed up. And you know how it is, man, when the student's ready, a teacher will appear. Uh, it was a book by, uh, the guy's name was Herman Ayara, and it was called Acid and Alkaline. And in the book, he said, your body works on a hierarchy, right? It's, there's a hierarchy of needs in your body. So your body determines whether or not something is more important than something else. So for me, your blood, or not for, for all of us, but in particular in my case, your blood getting built is more important than your bones getting built, right? Because the blood is like the, the river of life, all right? So your blood requires calcium in order to clot, right? So if you're deficient in these minerals and because you've been consuming all these acidic compounds, your body's going to leach calcium from your bones in, in, to aid in buffering the acidity, but also to build your blood, right? The bones are secondary. 
So what he said, when you're in the state of acidosis, what's going to happen is your body's first going to pull calcium or pull the nutrients from your spine and from your hip first. And those are the two areas that I had issues with. And when I saw that, I just I was done, man. Like, I couldn't believe what I was seeing, that this was he's detailing what had happened with me. And so I shifted over and I really started to consume. Um, and when we're talking about acids and alkaline, all this it, all this means is mineral content, man. You know, like people probably hear these terms out there, but what does it really mean? It just means what mineral construct is in that food, really. And um, one other thing I want to kind of backpedal on before we go any further with this is, you know, I think it's really important. And you said this, like, this is what your show is about. When when we get diagnosed with something and the word, even the, the diagnosis, I'm a big stat student of lexicon and words, if you haven't picked that up already. But diagnosis really means guess. It's just a guess, mm-hmm. you know, but if it's coming from somebody who's gone to medical school and they've been in school for 12 years and somebody gives you a guess, it's like you take that as solid truth, right? And it's like, it's the word of all of creation telling you that, you know, you have this condition and this is just the way it is, you know? And that ownership that we take of that is very, very profound. And I think that's what you were talking about earlier. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's like a guess or a curse or a placebo or a nocebo. You know, it's like the, the power that that doctors, you know, wield or, or therapists or just any respected healthcare practitioner, the power that they have in their words is, is just massive. You know, I think that oftentimes we neglect to recognize how important that is that of just choosing our language wisely, man. I, I, I love that you obviously have recognized that. So it's really, it's really cool to get to get to hear. One of the things I want, I was curious about you had mentioned with, uh, your blood, um, the, your water that you're drinking, how does that impact the blood that's mm. circulating? Mm. Let me tell you, <laughs> Check this out. So one of the things that I discovered in my research, your the, the, because of course I had in particular issues with my disc in my spine. So the discs that were you know so like in particular it was the L L four and L five S one vertebrae and the disc associated with them um, is that your discs are non vascular. Okay, the discs in your spine are non vascular. So what does that mean? Basically, it doesn't have a direct blood flow or slash water flow going to them to supply them with nutrients. However, the spine, the disc in your, in your back, or even maybe even, you know, like your meniscus in your knee, these are supposed to be like, I don't like to use the word shock absorbers because it's not necessarily what it is, but they're supposed to be spongy, you know, capable of, of movement and flexibility. So when they start to get dried out, that's another reason why we have this so-called degeneration, right? Now here's the issue. Again, they're non-vascular. So water doesn't get there directly. Right. When you drink, like just say you guzzle down a, a liter of high quality structured water, it's going to get to your brain relatively quickly, your uh, your skin, your obviously your gastrointestinal tract, you know, um, and it's going to actually get to your blood relatively quickly. The, the water that you drink becomes your blood within a matter of minutes. Right. This is why it's so important. But understand that your discs are non-vascular. This basically means that nutrition is going to get there first. It's actually a process of remote diffusion. And, you know, I don't want to get too geeked out with everybody, but this is it's basically it's like a semi-permeable membrane that the nutrients have to cross. So it's basically, it's complicated. It's like that story with the troll and the bridge, right? You've got to have enough 
presence and enough power to get past the troll, right? And so what that is for me and what, what that equates to for everybody is if you're dealing with a condition of degeneration of things like your, your, your cartilage in your knees or your meniscus or your, uh, your, your disc in your back, you need to super hydrate your system. You have to provide your body with enough hydration that it can fulfill all the needs everywhere else and then have some left to push through and to, to get to your, um, your problem areas, basically. And so what that looks like for me back in the day was I was drinking, prior to my healing uh, experience, I was drinking maybe a cup of water a day, maybe. A lot of Sunny D, a lot of, um, uh, what was I drinking? Uh, just orange drink. Right. Not even it's not orange soda, orange drink, whatever that is. Not even purple drink. And uh, yeah, purple drink, purple <laughs> stuff. Oh, I want the purple stuff, you know, <laughs> and just stuff like that, you know, and I wasn't drinking any high quality water, so maybe a cup a day. So I was so radically dehydrated. I was chronically dehydrated. And most people would experience a shocking change in their health and they start to proactively consume water. But a couple of issues arise there when. Uh, number one, some people say, you know, I don't really like water. And then I question whether or not they're human. <laughs> and so the, the reality is, of course, some people might have some issues with this. It's probably related to something that happened, you know, when they were very young. But more so, it's an issue of like, I'm not thirsty, but yet they eat a lot. And what it is, because the signals in your brain, so your hypothalamus is actually um, is actually structuring and uh, putting all these signals together. And the hunger signal and thirst signal are very, very similar, right? So oftentimes when we're really just thirsty, we'll go and eat some food. And the food, what's that going to do? It's going to exacerbate the problem of being dehydrated because it's going to pull more water to your to your bowels, to your gastrointestinal tract to try to process the food, right? So it becomes this vicious circle and not understanding like I'm just chronically hydrated. This is why I'm gaining weight, this is why my skin is really messed up. This is why I'm losing mobility in my spine or my disc are degenerating or, and it's really, it, man, it's so, and I, and I hope that of course with your audience and with, with you, like we all understand that this stuff is actually really simple. It boils down to some very simple principles. And really what it boils down to is like, what do your genes expect of you? Mm. You know, do the things your genes expect you to do. Consuming high quality water is like something your genes expect you to do. If you don't do that, you're going to get pain simple as that yeah absolutely man you know it's one of the one of the interesting things is i think oftentimes we feel like we need to spend you know thousands of dollars in order to get well you know i think that the, the most important stuff that we can possibly do is like it's all free man you know how's your relationships you know are you getting enough sun are you getting your feet in the dirt you know are you getting enough sleep what kind of water are you drinking are you drinking enough water you know there's so many simple simple solutions that people just like we neglect because we're not paying for it. You know, it's like the more you pay, the more you pay attention. It's like we got to get back to the human stuff, you know. And one of the things I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to chat with you about is in my mind, you were like the, like the sleep, you know, master. <laughs> like, like I envision like chimes and harps and like silk blowing with ionized <laughs> air. You know what I mean? Like, uh, <laughs> like I'm, I'm really curious a, how you got into kind of just the topic of sleep the way you have, which anybody listening, I absolutely 100% would say just go buy Sleep Smarter right now just because it's the change that it's had on my own life. It's, it's amazing, man. Like I've been sleeping all my life, 
but never have I put the amount of intention that I put into yeah. it now. I mean, it's like, it's a science experiment. I mean, that, that kind of makes it sound a little sterile, but like, I'm, I'm getting into it. <laughs> yes. You know, so I'm curious. Hey, you know what it is? Your thoughts. Oh, man. I mean, it's so interesting, man. And it was from, from clinical experience. You know, I would see people coming in that they seem to have a pretty good nutrition protocol. They're, they seem to be exercising um, appropriately, but oftentimes there's too much exercise, actually. But I would see this pattern of the individuals who weren't getting the results that they wanted, whether it was working on reversing type 2 diabetes or some weight loss protocol is that there would be the, this hole in their game, and it was usually related to stress and or sleep after further investigation. And so I really got interested in this and looking at, okay, so how does sleep really pay, play into this equation? And that took me back to my own experience of you know going from just broken, a broken human being to being an individual of really vibrant health and impacting lives of hundreds of thousands of other people. Like It's just profound, and I thought about, wait a minute, when I started to change the way that I was eating and I changed my movement patterns and my perspective, which we've been talking about, I automatically started to go to bed earlier and get up earlier. I didn't think about it. I literally, I was a, I was a college student. I'm not concerned about going to bed and getting up. Like there was no concept of that. It's just naturally happened. Like I would be sleepy at, you know, 10 o'clock and I'd go to bed and I'd be just so full of energy and I'd wake up at, you know, five, six o'clock and just want to do something. I wanted to live. I want to create. And it's because of the, you know, the real change. Well, here, let's just get into it. So why this matters is that sleep is known as the anabolic state. All right. The anabolic state. So what does that mean? Anabolic or anabolism means the building up of something. Okay. Growth. Being awake in and of itself is catabolic. You know, anything that we're doing right now, our body is more catabolic than anabolic by far. And even there are some things that we can do during our waking hours that lead to more anabolic things like lifting heavy weights, you know, doing heavy deadlifts, for example. Your body will secrete more uh, anabolic hormones, but the real anabolic change doesn't happen physically until you sleep, right? And to give a good example of this, like oftentimes people think when they go into the gym, you know, like after I get a good workout and like I'm in better shape, that's not true. You're in better shape when you walk in the gym door. As soon as you start working out, you're in worse shape than when you walked in, mm. right? You've broken your body down. You've, you know, muscle fibers are, are torn. We're, we've, we're talking about like inflammatory uh, stress hormones are going to be off the charts. If I take you, will get some blood work done. Uh, uh, inflammatory biomarkers are going to be up. Your blood sugar is probably going to be up. We can probably get you diagnosed as a pre-diabetic or diabetic, right? Or some type of a inflammatory health issue. But all that happened was you just did a tough workout. Now, again... Exercise is awesome. It's it's incredible. It's built into our DNA, but it's a it's called a hormetic stressor. So it's a stressor that is good for you when you get the rest and in re, reparative action that follows that, and that happens while you're asleep, right? So during sleep is when you release the greatest amount of human growth hormone, for example, right? HGH. And I just did a talk yesterday for uh, for this uh, big like nationwide bank and. When I said HGH, I'm just kind of surveying people like, what do you think about it? And it's like Alex Rodriguez, Jason Giambi, you know, uh, Marion Jones. Those things come to mind when we think about HGH, you know, like a, a P, it's a PED, right? Well, this is actually a really powerful endogenous hormone that gets uh, secreted by your pituitary gland every day. It's just how much are you producing? The reason that they take it is really threefold. Well, we'll just focus on two things. Number one, it gives you energy. HGH is known as the youth hormone. 
it makes it makes it so this is why kids have so much energy like you you kids don't even walk they don't even walk they run you know like my three-year-old if he has to go get something from his room he runs and he runs back you know like walking is just not present unless of course like you just take waking up or something like that but generally they're moving fast they've got so much energy right just run around hit me with his ninja turtle swords and just he won't stop you know? And so, but when we start to get older, around the age of 18 to 20, we have a pretty uh, dramatic decline in the amount of human growth hormone we produce. And I'm here to argue the fact that it's not just because you got older. It's because we get older and we stop sleeping, right? 18 years old, we're out of the house. Generally, we're in college now. It's like, mom can't tell me to get to bed. I got to get up and go to school in the morning, right? And we start this pattern of, of really poor behavior and, and uh, really low quality sleep hygiene. So we're not giving our body the opportunity to produce the HGH we need. So that's part one. Part two is for repair and healing. HGH is a very, very powerful anabolic uh, healing driver. It's a driver of healing and healing processes. And um, it really connects with a lot of reparative enzymes as well in your body. And again, so all that really happens, this is a secret sauce, and it really all happens while you're asleep. There are a couple of books I feel that are mandatory to read in our society today. I, I don't know how this process or how this book actually came from me. You know, like it's such a profound experience, you know, and this is this book has been number one on the bestseller list, in at least one health category for going on eight months. That's totally unheard of. But what it is, is there's a shift in consciousness happening and we're making the conversation. First of all, sleep is not a sexy topic, you know, so people are not just going to be like just giddy. Like, I can't wait to see this new uh, sleep protocol, you know, but we'll do that about a new fancy diet or a new fancy exercise program. But so what I've done is made sleep approachable, made it attractive, made it fun, and like literally putting, making it sexy, making it something that's like, like you said, it's like, it's an experiment, but it's kind of fun. It's kind of cool. We do these new things. We're going to try this, try that. And then you see the results. That is what's so powerful. You actually see the results. And the stories that I get on a daily basis from people, it's, I, it blows my mind, you know? But the thing is, I actually, I knew that this was going to happen because this is what happens when you get high quality sleep. And never at one time in the book did I say, you need to get blank hours of sleep. You know, you need to get eight hours of sleep, whatever. It's not about that. Actually, I teach you how to get less sleep, you know, and actually get more quality, you know, so you can sleep less and wake up feeling better yeah. because it's really about getting your body into the most deep rejuvenative stages of sleep more often. You know, so we've got, there's according to the research, depending on which experts you talk to, there's five stages of sleep. Really, I break it down to two. Non-REM sleep and REM sleep. REM sleep is rapid eye movement sleep. This is an important factor. This is where you're getting your dreamy time on, you're dreaming. And what the research indicates is that this is really important for you to be able to psychologically process data that you've taken in. And so there's a process called memory processing that happens. This is where your short-term memories get converted into long-term memories. So this is why, like, if you're not sleeping, then you literally get dumber, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep. Non-REM sleep is deep, quote, deep sleep. This is the most anabolic state a human being can be in. So there are certain things, we could talk about that, man, of there are certain things that you can do in your life while you're awake that can get you into stages, uh, into, into that non-REM sleep more frequently. And so that you wake up feeling better than you ever have. Let's talk and about so it. that's what the book is really about. <laughs> is, can, we, can we get into a little bit about what you can do while you're awake? Mm, absolutely. Let's do it. <laughs> so I like to do the, again, the lowest hanging fruit. 
you know? So the first thing to, to turn to is most people, when they want to get healthy, exercise is really approachable. Like every, most people are kind of programmed with the idea that if I want to get in shape and feel good, I need to work out. When that's for me, uh, and just seeing this clinically, uh, it's maybe 20 to 30% of the equation. You know, the other 70%, 80% is your nutrition. But so, but still exercise for the common, for, for conventional thinking is very approachable. So here's what to do. There's a res- there was a research study done at Appalachian State University, okay? They took exercisers and they broke them up into three groups. Group A exercised at 7 a.m., group B exercised at 1 p.m., and group C exercised at 7 p.m., okay? At the end of the study, what they found is that group A the morning exercisers spent up to 75% more time in the deep, non-REM, rejuvenative stages of sleep, okay? Up to 75% more time in deep sleep that we've been talking about thus far that really gives you all the stuff that you need, all the change in your body, the healing, the energy. You get up to 75% more of that if you exercise in the morning, all right? So, but people who exercise after work don't be disheartened. And actually, I haven't talked about this, I don't think, on any show at this point. But the afternoon exercises were found to get the least benefit, right? So, like, the people who work out in the lunch hour, you might want to restructure things if you want to improve your sleep quality get better results. But a lot of people is like, this is the only time I've got. Hey, I'm, we're kindred spirits. Do what you got to do. You know, it's better that you're doing it then than not doing it at all. So, but in the evening, there's some benefits, but they're not even remotely close as, uh, as working out in the morning. Now, with that said, this does not mean that you need to hit the gym in the morning by any means. However, if you do make that a practice, what's found in the, in the research, this is not in the book, but people who exercise long term, like a lifelong habit, 75% of those people exercise in the morning. So I'm just going to put it out there. Now, what we're doing is it's not about hitting the gym because I actually train in the afternoon, in the early afternoon myself personally, but I do activity in the morning because what you're doing by working out in the morning is you're helping to finally reset and optimize your circadian timing. Okay. So your, your secretion of hormones. So what we were doing in the morning is your cortisol levels should be high in the morning and cortisol is, you know, it's a well-known stress hormone now, but it's a really good thing. You need it. It's just when it gets out of balance. One of the out of balance issues is if you're producing a lot of cortisol and it's 10 o'clock at night and you should be sleeping. That's a problem. All right. So by exercising in the morning, just for even five, 10 minutes, seriously, you do some rebounding, get yourself a mini trampoline, do some rebounding, you do some yoga, do some Tabata, or maybe this is when you hit the gym, maybe you go for power walk, whatever it might be, it's going to help to increase or secre- um, encourage that cortisol secretion, which in, in, in turn is going to help the cortisol to be lower in the evening. Okay. So helping to reset this pattern. And here, here's why this is so effective, Aaron. Cortisol is the antithesis of melatonin, okay? It's the complete opposite. They have an inverse relationship. So when cortisol is up, melatonin is down. When melatonin is up, cortisol is down, all right? So if your cortisol is high in the morning, melatonin is going to be ground floor. And melatonin is the get good sleep hormone. This is the hormone secreted that helps you to get into stages of the deepest stages of sleep, okay? Stages three and four. Or just if you want to make it simple, non-REM sleep, all right? So now in the evening, here's the issue. If your cortisol levels are up in the evening because you're watching, you know, some, I don't know, scary movie or something, or you're just running around, or even you're at the gym, or you're just, you know, just up doing a bunch of activity, got all the lights on in your house. These are considered stressors to your body. And also, a lot of daytime hormones are going to get produced, namely cortisol. And so, your melatonin is going to be ground floor. And at this point, you can go to sleep. This does not mean that you're going to get good sleep, 
right? And this leads to the thing of people going to bed and getting a certain amount of hours, but they're still waking up tired. Does that make sense? That makes complete sense, man, 100%. One of the things that really intrigued me a lot and kind of like the, the most challenging thing for me, and I think so many people that I talk to, is getting to sleep at a decent hour. And I think that there's there's so many factors that are, that are involved with that, one of which is you know continual stimulation from all of our gizmos and such. Um, but the 10, a, or the 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. window of super sleep, what, what's the deal with that? I love this. So um, what we call this is money time sleep. And what what the research indicates is that around 9 p.m., all right, around 9 p.m., there's a shift in enzymatic activity that happens in your body that prepares your body for sleep, all right? There's a decrease in your core body temperature to, to create the best conditions for your body to get deep sleep. But this enzymatic activity turns on, and it's for the sole purpose of repairing your brain, your heart, your liver, your skin is for repairing your body while you're sleeping. Now, here's the rub. If you don't get to sleep around that time when these hormonal, I'm sorry, these enzymatic shift starts happening, what you experience is what's called an energy second wind. So, for example, you might be driving home uh, yesterday and you're like, it's like five o'clock, sun's going down, six o'clock, and you're like, and you're yawning. And you're like, I'm going to get to sleep early tonight. Then, you know, nine o'clock rolls around, maybe you're clicking through some stations, there's a game on, or there's, I don't know, Walking Dead is on your, you know, your DVR, whatever. Or you're on YouTube, you know how YouTube can be, you watch one video, then there's like five other ones, and you get into that. Next thing you know, it's like 10 o'clock, and you're wired, like you're awake. He's like, I could stay up all night, I'm not tired at all. And so you don't go to bed. And so what happened was that energy that your body produced for that one single day, that's all you got. It was used haphazardly. It was used to fuel this kind of YouTube uh, Alice in Wonderland rabbit hole you just went down, you know, and not repairing your body and your brain. So you're becoming a less strong, healthy version of yourself by making that decision. And this is a decision that's very new to us as human beings. You know, even a hundred, just a hundred years ago, you know, just a couple generations ago, we didn't have the, uh, the capability. Like if it got dark outside, that's it. Like it's dark, you know, like you could light a fire or something, but you can't, you, you can't do anything about it. Like the lights out on the planet, it lights are out. Today, we have this very interesting capability that we, like we can literally manufacture a second daytime. We are in total control. We can put all the lights on and what that does. And so this is another important tip here, strategy. Your skin has photoreceptors that pick up light, you know? So even if you're sleeping with an eye mask, something like that, but even before you get into the bed situation, um, your, your body and your brain is just picking up this light. And there's a particular troublesome light. It's a blue spectrum of light coming from our devices, our computers, our iPhones, our, our iPads, our, our uh, Kindle readers, things of this nature. And it's very similar to the spectrum of light coming from the sun. So for our very primitive, still endocrine system, nervous system, well, not, I'm not going to say primitive, wired up very similar to our in- ancestors. Okay. For our, for our, for our, in- for our nervous system, endocrine system, it's picking up that data and it's just Signaling is giving us data that it's still daytime. So we're going to be producing more daytime hormones. And the nighttime hormones are going to be hitting the ground. And so, and again, I don't want to just throw ideas out there. There was a study, it was Rensselaer Polytechnic, which actually studied this. Two hours of iPad use at the maximum brightness in this particular study was enough to dramatically suppress the secretion of melatonin. Hmm. Right? So you're just not you're just not secreting it. And again, you can go to bed. And go through the act of sleeping, but this does not mean that you're getting into 
the non-REM anabolic sleep that you really need. Yeah. Yeah. And one, it's just a little add on with that. Something that, that I use, I know you use as well as, um, I use an app called flux F period L U X on my computer, which essentially brings it, it tones down the, the temperature of your screen, uh, dependent upon the time of the day. So once the sun goes down, all of a sudden your screen turns this kind of fun little like orange color. And I notice a significant difference with that. I tried as, as often as possible also to turn my, my devices onto airplane mode, which that's going to reduce all the EMF and all the stuff that you just don't need to be circulating through your house anytime, but especially not when you're going to bed. And then became super freak and recently got blue blockers. This was induced from kind of like getting involved with the experiment. And I swear to God, man, that stuff is changing my life. Uh, (laughs) I love to hear that. It's it's incredible. So it's, it's, it's experiential, you know? Yeah. And now at this point, like there's a neuro associated, a neuro association between when I put my glasses on my, and I, you know, I don't wear like reading glasses, but these orange tinted shades to block out that blue spectrum of light. When I put those glasses on at night, I immediately get sleepy, you know, like it starts to like the process of unwinding just naturally happens. And it's definitely tied to an increase in melatonin that's happening. But also it's just like, it's again, it's a strong neuro associations that's created, but also, so these are a couple of hacks. Number one, flux. And your, your screen will do that automatically based on what time zone you're in. And then you can wear these orange tinted shades. Or the optimal thing is to give yourself a screen curfew. You know, and I recommend, and it's not that bad, you know, just like 90 minutes before you plan on going to sleep to get off of your devices. And just yesterday when I was doing this workshop, this convention, and um, so I'm speaking to all these corporate individuals and I asked them like, okay, so, and they were all with me. I mean, we were rocking it out. They were having an amazing time. And so I asked them, okay, so 90 minutes before you go to bed. So what, there are other things that we can do in this time. What can we do? And I see a couple hands raised, well, two out of this whole room of people. And one lady was like, read a book. I'm like, yes, you can read a book. You know, what a concept, you know, there are these old relics called books. You don't have to be on a device so that you can read something, you can read a book, right? And then the other lady kind of put her hand down and I was like, what were you gonna say? And she's like, I, don't know. I was gonna say the book thing. And so I'm like, I'm in this room full of people who have no idea what to do besides watch TV or to be on a device, right? Yeah. And then this courageous woman puts her hand up after I'm like, a minute's going by and I'm just, we're all laughing at each other. And well, I'm laughing at them, they're laughing at themselves. And this lady puts her hand up, she's like, uh, talk to your spouse. I was like, yes, somebody, you can talk to somebody, you know, you can actually do that. And then the the woman who initially said to read a book, she's like, you could talk on your phone too. Right. And it's just like, there's all like, they turned into children that had no idea how to live in the world. Right. Without their devices, you know? So it's, it's something we've got to make this approachable. We've got to make it fun because like, we're so can just, consumed with our devices like it's become like who we are it's not really true it's not the truth of who you are but this is what we think and by the way it's because also it's very addictive man you know we get a little dopamine hit when we get another uh follower on instagram or on twitter or somebody likes your post we get a little dopamine hit from that you know and so and dopamine is not what we're going for we're looking for serotonin right so these are things that stimulate us and keep us wanting more and so we've got to catch ourselves in that. And I promise you, it might be a little discomfort at first, you know, but it will make your life so much richer and successful and happy 
when you get reconnected to people and to yourself, yeah. you know, so taking that time to, you know, talk with the people that you love, you know, ask them about their day, um, what, what their challenges are, what they're excited about, what they're thankful for, sharing that with them as well. Um, reading, obviously, leaders are readers, you know, taking that time to do that. It's a great time to do some meditation, reflection, some introspection, some planning to write your goals out for the next day. There's so much fruitful stuff that you can be doing in, in that time that does not require you to be on a device. And it's going to do nothing but improve your sleep quality and improve your, your health and vitality overall. Yeah, absolutely. And then you, you hit on for, for a bit there about you know, creating these these correlations between you know when you put on your 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 nighttime glasses or when you you know what when you read your book when you talk to your spouse whatever it is we start creating these correlations in our mind of like oh okay it is sleepy time you know it's we can we can start kind of like hack that it's like the new fun term but we can almost like hack that in all sorts of aspects of our lives you know we can we can almost like trick ourselves into you know turning our morning routine into as opposed to like waking up and be like ah oh, I hate the morning you know we, you can actually practice getting excited first thing in the morning and eventually your your brain starts to integrate that into alarm rings and you are stoked you know but what we've done is we've just integrated these patterns of like okay nighttime it's time to get on the computer check out the twitter do all that stuff that actually you know, lights our brain up like a christmas tree you know that we just need to start creating these other practices that are a little bit more maybe functional in our life. The other thing I wanted to, to uh, chat about, which is something that I noticed like just huge, huge difference was um, just creating the ritual around sleeping and how much it's impacted me with just like everything, you know, my, my, all my senses, you know, creating more sensuality around sleeping, just being more aware of, you know, the smells that I surround myself with, you know, the sounds that I have in the room, the sight or lack thereof, you know, there's so many different things to it that just puts yourself in that state of blank, in this case, sleeping. I'm curious, do you have any, like, what is your nighttime ritual? Do you got one? I'm sure you do. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I do. Um, I, I want to give the example of my son first. So he's he's three now, but this a lot of people are shocked when they hear this. He's been sleeping through the night, 10 to 12 hours since he was six weeks old, right? And this is totally possible with any human child. It's just, we have this conditioned idea that, oh, you know, the kid's going to be up. Not understanding the fact that the child wants to sleep. They want to sleep too. It's just creating the pattern, creating the conditions for that to take place. And it starts with us as our adult, as adults and what we believe. And so for my child, what we did early on was we had a certain ritual, you know, and we integrated. We added some parts in as he got a little bit older. But so right now the ritual is, you know, um, he gets his pajamas on. We read a book of some sort. Even when he was very tiny, we just take a second and kind of go through some pages of something, you know. And but now he's really into the books. He can literally like dictating himself and just tell the story. But then we, after that, you know, I give him a hug. He gets into bed and I turn on this music that he's been listening to since he was six weeks old. It's very just gentle, calm music. And I close the door and he's asleep within five minutes every time, usually within two minutes. I'm not kidding. And it's because we created this neuro association. This process happens. Music comes on, do door close, sleep. And what the issue is that we think that we're so much more evolved. 
we're just big babies. You know, we're big babies with the same basic programming. And but we're now we're haphazardly allowing these neuro associations to be created for us. We're definitely products of our of our environment, for sure. But we're also creators of our environment. This is what makes humans so unique. You know, so you can constantly create your own neuro association. And you want to create that neuro association between your bed and your bedroom and sleep. Whereas a lot of people when they step into the bedroom, it's a neuro association to um, to work. I work in my bedroom. I watch television in my bedroom. I fight in my bedroom, right? So it's all this different energy, and we're wired up to to have these things, and we'll self sabotage or, or have these self fulfilling prophecies continuously because of the association we create. And I tell people this all the time: your bedroom should be for two things, right? The double S: sleep and sex. <laughs> sleep and sex. That's pretty much it. You never want to bring work into bed with you. That's like relationship suicide. And couples who have a television in their bedroom have 50% less sex, according to the research. And it's probably going to be like, a lot of people are going to hear this and they're like, yeah, I can use some more of that in my life. Maybe the television's an issue. But this is going to be like one person's like, no, nah, it's not a problem for me. You know? And I would be, I would also challenge that, how new is your relationship? Because when it's new... You know, it's going to be like rabbits. It's, it's kind of is what it is. But as your relationship becomes more mature and evolved, um, you, you've got to have the right conditions, you know, for continuous connection to happen. Right. So just a little thing I'm throwing out there some, for some guys that go and get the TV out of their room like yesterday. But for me personally, my my uh, kind of ritual, my evening ritual, the Neuro Association program, for me, it starts a little bit earlier. You know, it starts with dinner. You know, so we um, shoot to have dinner around the same time, you know, around seven o'clock. And I'm a pretty slow eater. And um, so we'll wrap that up. And we have like this time, family time. So we're not on devices. I've got a 14 year old son in my house as well and a three year old and then my wife. And we've all got cell phones and devices. But from seven to ten, nobody's on their on their devices. And of course, if I've got an, like something is really pressing with work, whatever, there's there are, there are conditions where that's okay, but generally we, we're not on our devices. We're actually connecting as a family, you know? And sometimes, of course, like we might watch a movie every now and then, but generally this is time for um, just, just conversating and just, you know, being together. I mean, it's just such a foreign thing. It's weird that I'm even talking about it, you know? So that's happening then. Um, my, my youngest son is going to bed between 8.30 and 9.00. And so then it's, and then of course, then my older son will like do his homework, whatever. He's kind of hanging out in his room. And then this is time for me and my wife to do whatever we want to do, you know? So this might be conversation. This might be something else, you know? So this is time for us to be together. And I'll read. I read pretty much every evening right before bed. So that's a part of my, my program. It's even a couple pages of something, um, and I've, I've experimented on what I read. So I've read like nonfiction because um, I, I, I thought that fiction was like it wasn't it wasn't uh, what's the word? It just wasn't productive, you know, because you're probably like me and you just want to keep learning. You want to keep getting better. Yeah. And I would look at this like it's just not efficient. It's not effective use of my time. But in actuality, what it does is it really helps your brain to become more creative because you're seeing you're seeing like a movie that you're creating in your mind based off of the words you're reading. So I found the value in, not, in, in fiction as well now. 
But so I'll read something uh, nice or something empowering or maybe a little bit of, of a fiction book. And then um, just some of the normal stuff, you know, brush the teeth, use the bathroom. And uh, I'll also put on this. And I'm man, I don't want to be like a tie dye shirt kind of, you know, like just I'm not out there. woo woo, But I got a salt lamp now. <laughs> and I got it was it was based on some some really interesting research about the ions that it's going to be producing from the heat coming off of the lamp and, and interacting with the salt, this Himalayan salt lamp. And I'm all about the ions, man. I'm all about this negative charge energy. And so uh, I put the salt lamp, well, no, it's usually on already. But so we'll just kind of hang out in the bedroom with the salt lamp on and just kind of soaking up those ions. And I'll do a little stretch before I go to sleep uh, because it ap- operates the parasympathetic nervous system. And I'll let the whole day go. Like I'll stand right next to my bed, lights are off, reaching up and just kind of, you know, stretching my, my entire body and giving thanks for everything from the day. And then I just let it all go. I'm just and I close the chapter. A lot of people don't do that. They go to bed and they start thinking about everything, right. you know. And yeah. so I shut it all down. I give thanks for everything that has happened in that day, be it good or not so good. And I close the day off. This day is finished. And now, you know, we, we, we move into the next day where I'm born again, you know, and I get to do it all over and do it better. So that's my that's my ritual. Beautiful, man. I love it. Yeah, there's like about a million more questions that I would love to ask you, but I want to be respectful of your time. So if, would it be possible for you to give, if you if there was one supplement or I prefer whole food is the way that I try to go. Mostly I, I, I do a lot of supplements as well. But if there's one thing, either food or supplement that could help people out there that are looking to get a better night's sleep, is there something that you could pick that's like, I know people are missing this one. Absolutely. You know, and I, I dedicated a chapter to talk about the supplements because a lot of people would come in. They're just like, what can I take? Tell me what I can take. But I don't like that because it's allopathic thinking where we're treating a symptom. And so I give people the hierarchy of like, try this first, try this second, try this third. I don't want to get into that. People can look into that in the book. But more so, the most important thing, by the way, melatonin is not a good idea. Right. It's a hormone. It's an end product. And what the research is indicating is more and more coming out right now, excuse me, is that Individuals who are taking melatonin, which is a hormone, again, just because it's coming over, you know, like you can go buy it off a shelf in Whole Foods, doesn't mean that it's good for you. It can downregulate your body's natural production of melatonin itself. That's not good, right? So basically, it becomes habit forming. So, anyways, um, the number one thing that I would recommend people to look into as far as supplementation is magnesium. This is critical. Uh, interesting study that I put into the book was on it was on insomniacs, individuals with chronic sleep disorders and sleep problems. So what they found in the study was that 100% of the individuals in the study were deficient in magnesium. Every single one of these insomniacs were deficient in magnesium. Stretch that out even further. 80 to 90% of the United States population is deficient in magnesium. Why does this matter? This is an anti-stress mineral. This is a calming mineral. This is a mineral responsible for over 300 biochemical processes in the human body. Many of them relating to sleep and recovery and repair, all right? So I highly recommend you do not take an internal supplement, you know, a dietary supplement form because magnesium is, well, it has a certain bowel tolerance limit, right? So if you take even a little bit too much, which you probably need to do, you're going to be having a lot of bathroom breaks, all right? And you're going to have the dacharija, all right? So you got to be careful with that. So what I recommend is getting a topical application of magnesium. And in particular, there's only one. There's one that I found. I've tested at least like 12 different magnesium topical products. 
and they just don't they just don't stack up. You know, twenty percent absorbable, fifteen um, percent absorbable. It's a lot of waste, and you're not getting the the super critical extract that you really need. And so the one that I use is um, magnesium infusion. And I recommend people don't just go and look for it, but I actually did an entire video detailing it, why it's so effective. It's at uh, my website. It's the SeanStevensonModel.com forward slash magnesium. Or they can check it out in my book. The link's there. All this information is there. And that stuff, man, I'm t- it's one of those things experientially. I've gotten so many amazing emails and responses from people from just including that magnesium product just last week a guy he said he'd been getting four hours four to five hours of sleep for the last like 10 years and now he's sleeping eight hours a night and again it's not about the number of hours but for him that's huge because it changed a, a, a certain habit that he was experiencing something he was experiencing on a daily basis he wasn't getting enough time on the mat basically you know even having the opportunity to get that sleep because he was missing out on this important nutrient. So it can be a game changer. And it's again, it's not like it's some cure-all, but if you're deficient, it can really change your life. Okay, so that was Sean Stevenson interviewed on the Align podcast. Some really good information and some really good sleep hacks. And a few things that stuck out to me. First off, anyone that has a child that sleeps 10 to 12 hours uh, through the night since they were six week old, uh, really, really gains credibility to me. So <laughs> I don't know what kind of magic he's working, uh, but that was a pretty cool story. Uh, some other things that stuck out, the statistic about those that have the lifelong habit of exercise, 75% of people that fit that category that are quote unquote lifelong exercisers exercise in the morning. Okay. So what are we tying back here? We're tying back to, um, the John a cuff clip from a few episodes ago, how mornings tend to dominate, uh, nighttime as far as productivity. And this also ties back into the miracle morning. So, uh, when you start to, again, when you start to hear these concepts, uh, from multiple different places, that's when you, you pay attention. So if you want to incorporate a killer workout into your morning routine and you happen to be from uh, west side of Indiana, you can see me and meet me at uh, CrossFit Notch 8 in Avon, Indiana. 5.15 in the morning class. It's a killer to get up, uh, but it's also just a phenomenal workout. So you'll usually see me there. Um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday is when I try and make it. So stick around, uh, come see us and we'll have a good workout. And if you mention to the owners that you listen to this podcast, they will give you one year membership free. No, I'm totally kidding. (laughs) They're going to kill me, but, uh, they are uh, a great place to, uh, work out. Uh, and the best part about, um, you know, just CrossFit in general, what I like about it, I haven't been doing that that long but what I like about it is uh, you get the exercise obviously but you have a built-in sort of support network and instead of having just one success buddy you have like a whole team of success buddies uh, right there each and every class and they've got trainers right there and uh, you can go from no technique to really really good technique which was especially helpful for me 
uh, trying to do squats and deadlifts, things that when done incorrectly can injure your back. And I have a sensitive back, but when done properly, they are phenomenal for your back. And um, that's one of the huge, huge perks for me. So if you're up for it, check it out. Oh, and and I love how in that podcast we just listened to, they mentioned blue blockers. Uh, we, you know, we talked about the the blue wavelengths and, and how that's really bad at nighttime with your devices, but they mentioned blue blockers. And I, I wouldn't be doing myself justice if I didn't play a little bit of this rap from a commercial from blue blockers way back when. Now, I'm really playing this because I want to punk out my friend, uh, a friend that probably doesn't listen to this podcast, but I'm sure it may get back around to him. But he he knows this rap. He can rap this whole song. And he actually kind of looks a little bit like the guy in this YouTube video. So I'm going to play a little bit of it right now just because it's funny. And hopefully it'll get back to him. And I'll probably post this on the show notes just because I want to. So I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this, but when they talk about blue blockers and how they wear those at night to help them in their nighttime routine, uh, it's funny to me. It's crazy to me. uh, But, you know, sometimes, like I've said before, sometimes it's good to be a little crazy. But (laughs) we're going to play this song right now on the show. Yeah. Now, what, what I mean, yes, these sunglasses are really, really keen. So there you have it, folks, out there in TV land. Get you some glasses that sweep in the land. Remember what I said, now I'm a hip-hopper, yeah. Go get you some blue blockers. Mm. Oh, yeah, there we go. So <laughs> that was basically an inside joke between me and a select group of people that I know. But I felt obligated to play that. All right, so now we're going to close up the show with one more quick clip. This is a clip from uh, Sean Stevenson's podcast. It's called The Model Health Show. So he was just interviewed on the previous podcast. Uh, and this is quick little hit from, I think it was episode number 86 on his show. It was a full show dedicated to uh, sleep and things like that and how to get a good night's sleep. But the one thing uh, that stuck out for me was these seven tips that he had on how to make a quote-unquote, how to make a sleep sanctuary. Now, he starts off talking about don't keep your phone uh, by your pillow. I think he means like under your pillow. In a previous show, I use and recommend an app called Sleep Time. Uh, Great app. I love it but it's not under my pillow and it is in airplane mode. So I avoid some of the Wi-Fi uh, issues that Sean Stevenson talks about. Uh, but yeah, sometimes you, you have to make trade-offs. So just keep that, keep that in mind. And if you do use some of these apps, uh, obviously don't put it under your pillow. Just something to be aware of. All right. So let's take a quick gander at the top seven tips for creating a sleep sanctuary to the seven tips for creating your sleep sanctuary. Tip number one is to remove the proven sleep-disrupting electronics from your room. Absolutely. Okay, so we've already dove in and just really talked about the different factors and, and why this is important and critical, actually, for you to do. So that's tip number one. It's really, really cut and dry and simple, and it's just a matter of what level do you want to play at? You know, what level of mastery do you want to have with your health and your well-being? You know, are you going to be living in, like, the electronic jungle? 
You know, is your is your bedroom like walking into Best Buy or is it a sleep sanctuary, you know, where there's going to be, you know, a, a presence and a, and a feeling of relaxation and peace and, and calmness and connection. So get all those sleep sucking devices out of your room. I promise you that you're going to be OK. I promise you this. And this leads to tip number two, which is to get some blackout curtains ASAP. Got to get those. If you've not done this yet, First do step. yourself a favor Get yourself some blackout curtains. They are not that expensive. You can go to Dr. Google and get you some or go to Target or wherever you might uh, find yourself. You're going to be able to find some blackout curtains. They're becoming more and more popular now. These are the ones that the fancy pants hotels use. Mm-hmm. And you think that you sleep so well when you go on vacation uh, because maybe you, you're, you know, you're at the beach or you're, you're not stressed. But really part of that whole equation is the fact that your room is pitch black now. Mm-hmm. You know, they've blacked the room out so you're sleeping in total darkness, whereas at home, who knows what kind of environment you're in with different light spectrums hitting your, your body and, and causing you to have disrupted sleep. That's right. So definitely get yourself some blackout curtains ASAP. Tip number three is combined with tip number one a little bit. And this is to replace your alarm clock and or phone with an alarm clock that has a total dimmer shut off. Right? So I actually have one that's made by Sony mm-hmm. that you can turn the light all the way off. And what the research showed is, shows is that it's actually the, the ones that have a blue or white light. Okay, that that come out that are actually more sleep disruptive than the red yeah, light. The red ones, okay. You know, but the red light is still kind of annoying. Like that's what you kind of think about. Like I do seeing movies and just growing up is something that's <laughs> annoying. You know, so replace your alarm clock with one with a total dimmer shut off, and also your phone. Your phone has no place in the bedroom and sleeping. And what the research shows is a lot of people are just like, Sean, I'm not gonna do that one. And that's fine. You can do everything else, stack the conditions in your favor, but you're gonna play at a high level and be a happy, sovereign individual in control of your life, get that phone away from your bed, Mm -hmm. right? Number one, because of the frequency and the radiation that it inherently is going to have. On the box, it says to keep it away from your head. Some people sleep within one foot of their cell phone at all times. You know, it doesn't even leave their side. Some keep it on their pillow. Right, and there's a video, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'll put the video in the show notes of a young girl who fell asleep with her phone and it burned a a cell phone-sized hole right through her pillow. Mm -hmm. You know, she could have died. You know, she could have actually... Because it, it caught on fire. You know, this is an electronic device. It has no need to be by your head like that. That's crazy. It's like your little, oh, it's my little baby, you know, my, your little <laughs> comfort, you know, yeah. instead of it being a, a fluffy stuffed animal, you know, it's now it's a cell phone. <laughs> and a lot of people also, it's, the, it's their alarm clock. They'll tell me, Sean, but what am I going to do for alarm clock? Get an alarm clock. Get an alarm clock. You know, you don't have to, that's just an excuse because we get a little bit of a serotonin hit when we have the message come in. Or we see we got a new Instagram thing come in or or Twitter followers or whatever it is, you know. So and if you're getting up in the morning with that as your alarm clock and I've surveyed some lots of executives, immediately they'll start checking their messages. And instead of you getting up, having your own morning ritual ready to do for your, your exercise, get your nutrition in, meditation, whatever it might be. Now you're putting out fires or now you're responding and everybody else's needs are going to be put before yours. Immediately. Yeah. So mm-hmm. switch that up and start using an, uh, an old school alarm clock with a total dimmer shut off. Tip number four to create a sleep sanctuary is getting back to what Jade initially said in her vision of what a sanctuary <laughs> looks like is greenery, life. Yeah. Get a plant or two. So that's tip number four is to get a plant or I two. I love it. I love it. The English ivy, for example. And I wrote about this in the Sleep Smarter book and a chapter actually dedicated to sleep sanctuary. The English Ivy, NASA, so these are the smart guys, right? (laughs) Rocket scientists for real. NASA listed it as the number one air filtering houseplant. 
It has an unmatched ability to absorb formaldehyde, which is a neurotoxin. And most of us have no idea about this, but we're exposed to this every day because we're mm-hmm. just living in this industrialized world. And we talked about this as well as the off-gassing mattresses, exactly. you know, with the formaldehyde. Exactly. So the English ivy can actually help to transmute those toxic compounds and actually give you fresh, clean oxygen. Really, really wonderful. And there's another one that I actually have. I have the perennial snake plant. And this doesn't require much light or water to thrive. It doesn't need a lot of attention, which is great for me because I'm not like a plant <laughs> plant guy. But I still, well, I said that prior, but now I've kind of grown this like affection towards this plant, this mm-hmm. resonance. It's funny how that happens That's once right. you actually. Life gives life. Yeah. So what's most impressive about this plant is that it absorbs carbon dioxide and releases oxygen during the night. It's nocturnally doing this, which is the opposite of a lot of other plants. So it's a great plant to have in your bedroom to boost the air quality. I love it. And that leads us to tip number five for creating your sleep sanctuary, which is to make sure the air is right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the biggest thing is to get a mattress that isn't (laughs) off-gassing and causing the air to be a problem in the first place. But outside of that, we talk about, you know, especially during winter months when people have got, they're kind of sealed in a box. Sure. Getting a humidifier, you know, to kind of soften the air, to make the air more moist and natural. Uh, and also maybe something like an air ionizer. They become more and more popular. And here's an idea. Open your window or right. crack your window a little bit during the day. Let some of that brisk fresh air in. Simple as that. Mm-hmm. That's the free version, That's, yeah. which I like. I like the free one. I like you that. Know? So, and also ceiling fans or having a fan to help to circulate that Keep air it because it's, stale. it's, be, right, it's mm-hmm. stagnant and stale. So something as simple as that. Or, of course, you can look into the air ionizers or humidif- and or humidifiers um, to kind of create this more of a, a life-giving mm-hmm. atmosphere, mm-hmm. okay, with the breathing, breathing air in, your, in yeah. your bedroom, all right? So that's tip number five. Let's move on to tip number six. Tip number six for creating our sleep sanctuary is to sleep on a safe mattress. For sure. All right, now, like I mentioned before, the IntelliBed is the best sleep wellness bed on the market. And again, I reached out to them. We connected. I have a phenomenal bed. I love this bed. You know, I've never said that about a bed before, but it's non-toxic hypoallergenic, and antimicrobial, right? This is something safe for your family, especially, you know, you're, you've got kids, you know, to consider what are they sleeping on, you know? So, and also this, the spinal support, you know, this is something that's not going to degrade and lose its resiliency, you know, and if at all possible, really consider making that shift and getting yourself a high quality mattress, something that's going to be an investment up front that's going to last you for, you know, for, for many, many decades. So powerful. So that's tip number six is to sleep on a safe mattress. Tip number seven and our final tip for creating a sleep sanctuary is to keep it cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, studies have shown that insomniacs, individuals with chronic sleep issues, okay, that's the definition, tend to have significantly warmer core body temperature right before bed, like we already discussed. Okay. So that's what the research indicates. But also, there was a Dutch study, and scientists had participants wear thermosuits to lower their skin temperature less than one degree Celsius without affecting the core body temperature to measure its impact on sleep. The study results show that the participants didn't wake up as much during the night and they spent more time in stages three and four deep sleep than the control group who didn't use the thermosuits. Wow. Okay, so just cooling yourself a little a bit little can bit. help you to get mm-hmm. that deeper, higher quality sleep and is right there in black and white. Now, for the people that are tend to be more cold-natured, I encourage people to go ahead and wear some some warm, fuzzy socks, mm-hmm. all right, because it's really the extremities is kind of the thing that bothers a lot of people. So wear some nice, warm socks, but keep it cooler in your in your bedroom. It doesn't have to be 68 to 60, but maybe 70 degrees. Just cool it off a little bit more 
It's going to intrinsically help to improve your sleep quality. All right, so these are the seven strategies for creating a sleep sanctuary. Okay, there you go. We have completed a full, full show of sleep information and sleep hacks. So I'm just going to go over some closing comments before we get out of here. Uh, in the show notes, yeah, check out that commercial about the grandfather and grandchild. It's pretty cool. I'm also going to throw on the Blue Blocker commercial for your entertainment. Some apps mentioned on this show. Uh, the Headspace app, really good to meditate and calm down your mind. Uh, the Night Wave Light app, uh, a really cool app that helps you regulate your breathing to go to sleep. Books mentioned on this show, The Happiness Advantage by Sean Acor. A uh, really good clip we played about changing your perspective. Uh, also has a ton of other just really, really interesting stories and studies. And uh, I'm sure you can find a bunch of information in that book that you would find helpful. I uh, really recommend that. Uh, actually, Richard Branson of uh, Virgin Records. That's one of, one of the books he thinks is one of the most influential books that has played a really, really big part in his life. So for whatever that's worth. Um, anyway, it's a pretty good book. Also, the book Sleep Smarter by Sean Stevenson was mentioned uh, various times. Uh, I'm sure he covers some of the things he went over in the podcasts, uh, but I'm sure he covers them in a whole lot more detail. And finally, your homework is pretty simple. Work on improving your sleep and your sleep environment. Uh, try to implement at least one or two of the, the hacks that were mentioned on this show, uh, I think they'll, they'll make a big difference. I, I know a lot of times uh, sleep is a big problem for people. And if it's not a big problem, it's sometimes just overlooked and people sort of forget that they could, they could do a couple quick steps and really improve uh, the quality of their sleep, which then filters down to their energy level and everything else. So get a good night's sleep and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. We hope you found a few nuggets of wisdom that you can apply to your life. Until next time, take action. Keep hacking and stacking your way to success.